Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. So I'm advised that there's this guy. We never liked this guy, Jeremy Barr, did we, Mr. Producer? He used to be a gossip guy for the Hollywood Reporter. Now he's at the Washington Post covering the media industry. Never been very nice to me. He wants to know why I criticize my colleagues at Fox. We're going to have a lesson here once this article comes out. We'll talk to the millions of you and explain it. How leaks and counter-leaks occur. And how certain reporters are in the back pockets of certain people. And that would include Jeremy Barr. But I don't want to jump the gun. We will wait for him. I don't trust these corrupt bastards. Ooh, look at this. We have, we have some information, some links. But we'll deal with this when the time comes. But this is how it works. So they have certain go-to sources. And certain go-to sources strike back. This is how they protect their anonymous sources. So I'll lay it all out once it happens. We'll just wait. I'll be patient. Patience isn't my great hallmark. But I'll be very, very patient. With Jeremy Barr. Well, Donald Rumsfeld passed away as you heard by now. Now, many people agreed with him, many people didn't agree with him, but one thing he was, was a patriot. And I kind of knew something was wrong, what was it, six or eight months ago, Mr. Producer, when we sought to have uh, the secretary on the show to talk about some issue? And they said he was unable to. I didn't know exactly what that meant. doesn't really matter, but... He may well have been ill back then. But this is a man who 
spent a great deal of his career in support of this country as Secretary of Defense and in other positions. And uh, I didn't know him personally. We had him on here a few years ago when he had written a book. Uh, they said he could have been can- cantankerous. Well, they say that of me. They say that about anybody who's trying to make decisions. Uh, but hope he rests in peace and hope his family finds some solace because he was a great patriot. There's no question about that. And uh, these days, it's hard to find great patriots. This is an important story, and I'm going to tell you why in a moment. This is a story at the Daily Caller. CNN loses nearly half its viewers in post-Trump network ratings bloodbath, writes Jordan Lancaster. CNN lost half of its viewers in just one year. As major cable news networks struggle in ratings, Nielsen Media Research Ratings released uh, the information, the ratings, Tuesday. In June of 2021, CNN had an average of 580,000 total daily viewers, a drop of 49% compared to June of 2020. The network also lost 59% of its viewers in the critical 25 to 54 age demographic, with an average of 133,000 total day viewers in the demographic for the month of June. CNN lost the most viewers out of all three major news networks. MSNBC had the second largest drop in viewership, a loss of 37%. Well, that's a hell of a lot, too. Compared to June of last year. Now, in fairness, there was a lot going on in June of last year, but just pointing this out. Let's see here. Fox News had the largest number of viewers and the least substantial drop since last year. It lost 35% of total viewers. So we go, CNN lost half of its viewers, MSNBC 37%, Fox 35%. Now again, what was going on last June was really quite, uh, well, atrocious, but would draw your attention to television, right? The riots and other issues that were going on. So you can expect the, uh, so you can expect the numbers to be lower. Now, that said, um, They're very low, even by if you compare them, one network to the other. Now, why is that? Why is it? Well, of course, Donald Trump's not around, but there's more than that. CNN is a political operation. CNN's ratings are down significantly. Nicole Wallace, Jake Tapper, way down in freefall territory. Nicole Wallace, I mentioned her. Brian Stelter, that's another one. Because if that's the game you're going to play as a news outlet, if that's the game you're going to play, it's a double-edged sword. What's left of CNN? Why would anybody watch CNN? I mean, if you're not going to just be all out honest about what you are and what you're doing. You pretend to be a news operation. Even the kooks are eventually going to leave you. They have no interest in you anymore. If you want to get real news, you're not going to go to CNN anymore, even though it started 
as the cable news network. It started the whole industry. If you want to get really hardcore kooks, you go to more to MSNBC, right? They're hosts. A conga line of kooks. So there's no niche, if you will, for what CNN does. Because it does everything poorly. Meanwhile, the head of CNN, Jeff Zucker, he gets endless promotions and bonuses and so forth. This is part of the problem, in my view. Part of the problem when an AT&T owns a CNN. CNN isn't, it's, it's not even relevant to what AT&T's bottom line is. AT, if CNN loses viewership, if it loses money, it's just no big deal to AT&T. It doesn't hurt its bottom line in any significant way because it's such a huge conglomerate and international corporation. It dwarfs what little CNN can and cannot do. And so this is why they feel that they can continue to do what they do even when they fail. But they undermine freedom of the press. They undermine the First Amendment. They did it all through the Trump years, and they're doing it now with their failure to seriously cover Joe Biden and Joe Biden's policies. And even when it comes to issues like critical race theory, they're propagandists for radical views and views that used to be considered nutty views. Even in law schools, even in colleges and universities, not anymore, of course. So this is a bigger story than it seems, I think. It relates to freedom of the press. It relates to the culture. It relates to the response of the American people. And the American people don't like CNN. I suspect the same thing's going on at the New York Times and Washington Post with their readership, however that's measured. They're utterly predictable. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Now, education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, and it continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide. Through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage and liberty that too often today is falsely derided and denied. Hillsdale's motto is, Pursuing Truth and Defending Liberty Since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Well, Donald Trump is on the border, as you know, with uh, Governor Abbott. He's made some some comments you might be interested in. Uh, It's called West Laco, Texas. 
And uh, it's part of the border that, of course, Kamala Harris wouldn't be caught in if her life depended on it. It'd be a very bad optic. And the border is a disaster. What's going down down there is horrific. And we've talked about it on many occasions. But here's the president, President Trump, with Governor Greg Abbott. Cut to go. But uh, the border has never been this way. It went from the best border we've ever had in the history of our country. Not 20 years. You know, they like to say over a 22-year period. No, it's the best ever by far. Uh, It took two and a half years to start the wall because we were sued by everybody. And then, uh, and largely by the Democrats in Congress, by the way. And now, by the way, they're doing a disinformation campaign. They're saying that the unsafe border is your fault. You believe this? Because they're getting killed with the border. So now they're saying, oh, we got a problem. So let's blame the sheriffs. Let's blame the governors. Let's blame everybody else but them. They're also saying it with defund the police. They came out with a term, defund the police. And they're, you know, it's well documented, that's for sure. Just look at AOC and look at Omar. How's she doing? How's her country doing, by the way? And they're telling us how to run our country right now. How are they doing? And now they're saying, no, no, it was them, us, that wanted to defund. It's it's like Russia, Russia, Russia. Everyone said, Russia, Russia, Russia. I said, what's that all about? Then they said, oh, you were very friendly. Well, that's been proven to be false, not only false. It was them that were associated with Russia. It was them, the Democrats and Hillary and the group that gave money to Russia. So it's a disinformation campaign, and it's a terrible campaign where they're trying to say this is a disaster for them. Let's blame the people that have really done something about it and can do something about it. But when your hands get tied because you no longer control the White House or Congress, uh, it's, it's a disgrace. Cut three, go. I'm so glad that you mentioned the fentanyl because the fentanyl was almost a non factor. And now I hear it's just pouring into our country. And it's the most dangerous of all, but just pouring into our country. And we stopped also uh, human trafficking, mostly in women. Uh, The human trafficking was almost stopped. We built almost 500 miles of wall, despite uh, two and a half years of lawsuits, litigation, started by Congress, Nancy Pelosi and the Congress. They sued us for everything. And we won the suits and we started... And within a few months, you would have had the wall totally complete, and they ought to paint it. They're supposed to paint the wall, and they aren't even doing that. they got to get a coat of paint on the wall. Uh, Believe it or not, it does rust. Maybe that's what they like. Let it rust. Let it rot. But uh, we built a wall that was not a wall that anybody could get through. We had very few breakthroughs, uh, unbelievably few. Just the only breakthrough is let them walk around to the few open areas where you have uh, we had problems on land disputes, et cetera, et cetera. All of those problems were resolved, so we got them resolved. So you could have completed the wall in a couple of months, and uh, they decided not to. Now I hear rumors that they want to do it, but it's only common sense. Mm-hmm. Let's jump the cut five, Mr. Producer. Go. And a lot of people like to say to the media, well, we could immediately, I saw it today, we should immediately go back to the Trump policy. It's not that easy now. It's not that easy. But we have a a sick country in many ways. It's sick in elections and it's sick in the border. And if you don't have good elections and if you don't have a strong border, you don't have a country. So with that, we're going over to 
the border right now, mm-hmm. but we're going to the real part of the border where there's real problems, right. not a part where you look around and you don't see anybody. <laughs> uh, and uh, we're going to admire the wall and how it works, because uh, wherever we have the wall, that's what made the big difference. It made tremendous difference. Elections. He's bringing up elections. I didn't think we're allowed to talk about this past election. Which does raise a question. Here's the Associated Depressed. Karen Matthews and Depti Hagela. Error Mars vote in New York City mayoral primary. What are you talking about? There can't be any errors. The Democratic primary for mayor of New York City was thrown into a state of confusion Tuesday when election officials retracted their latest report on the vote count after realizing it had been corrupted by test data never cleared from a computer system. The bungle, they write, was a black mark on New York City's first major foray into ranked choice voting and seemed to confirm worries that the city's Board of Elections, which is jointly run by Democrats and Republicans, was unprepared to implement the new system. Notice, jointly run by Democrats and Republicans. I wonder what the numbers are on that board, but let's keep going. The disarray began as evening fell when the board abruptly withdrew data it had released earlier in the day, purporting to be a first round of results from the ranked choice system. That data had indicated that Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, a former police captain, who would be the city's second black mayor, had lost much of his lead It was ahead of former sanitation commissioner, Catherine Garcia, by fewer than 16,000 votes. See how that works? Wow, that was quick, huh, Rich? Then the Board of Elections tweeted that it was aware of a discrepancy in its report on ranked choice voting results. Didn't initially explain what the discrepancy was, even as it pulled the data from the website. Sounds to me like the Associated Depressed is now promoting conspiracy theories. Just before 10.30 p.m., it released a statement saying that 135,000 ballot images it had put into its computer system for testing purposes had never been cleared. The board apologizes for the error and has taken immediate measures to ensure the most accurate, up-to-date results are reported, it said in a statement. Now, the results initially released on Tuesday and then withdrawn were incomplete to begin with because they didn't include any of the nearly 125,000 absentee ballots cast in the Democrat primary. Adams' campaign, which had publicly pointed out the vote discrepancy shortly after the faulty count was released, said in a statement that it remained confident he would ultimately prevail. But he's questioning the system. And where did all these votes come from? A hundred and some thousand votes. What's going on in New York City, Mr. Producer? Jim Crow? I don't know. It's a one-party city. They have this system. Wide-open voting. And they have all these problems. I wonder what the issue is. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Now, education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, and it continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide. 
through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of Liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage and liberty that too often today is falsely derided and denied. Hillsdale's motto is, Pursuing Truth and Defending Liberty Since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Now here's more on uh, voting questions out of New York City. Am I allowed to mention this? Am I allowed to talk about this? I don't know. This is from Red State. Leader in New York City mayoral race questioning whether 100,000 votes just came where they came from, to make the race much closer, writes Nick Arama. You may get some deja vu with the news about what just happened in the saga of the New York City mayoral election. The election was actually last Tuesday, but they're still counting and don't expect to be done until sometime in July. Brooklyn Borough President and former police officer Eric Adams had been the surprise leader in the race when he came in first place last Tuesday, with 82% of the results in. Now, that didn't make some of the left happy, although he was still a Democrat. The election is ranked choice voting, and he was the first choice of 31.6% of the people whose votes have been counted to that point, with Maya Wiley, real nut job, second with 22.3%, and Catherine Garcia, third with 19.7%. But whoops! Suddenly, votes show up and vaulted the third-place person into second, with just a narrow lead remaining for Adams, with some 124,000 absentee votes yet to count. The difference now is only 16,000 votes, so it's entirely conceivable now that Garcia could catch up. Eric Adams is clearly not happy at all. He's raising questions about where the 100,000 votes suddenly came from. Ooh! A conspiracy theorist. Why doesn't he just be quiet, Mr. Producer? Why is he raising questions? About the system. Now the vote total just released by the Board of Elections is 100,000 plus more than the total announced on election night. Raising questions, the Adams statement says, we have asked the Board of Elections to explain such a massive increase in other irregularities before we comment on the ranked choice voting projection. And we remain confident that Eric Adams will be the next mayor of New York because he put together a historic five-borough working-class coalition of New Yorkers to make our city a safer, fair, more affordable place. Now, the 100,000 did not come from absentee ballots. They didn't even start counting those yet. All they have is the day of and the early voting, so it seems like a pretty good question. The New York Board of Election is saying that they're aware of the discrepancy. That's a pretty big discrepancy, if that's what they're talking about. But the New York Board of Elections is probably one of the worst in the country. The election was last Tuesday, and we probably won't know the winner until sometime in July. That's insane, and they always have issues every election. But the huge swing now makes it more likely that Garcia 
will pull it out, despite the huge lead that Adams had on election night. Sound familiar? As they write over Red State. No, 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 no. You can't talk about this. You can't talk about this. It may result in an insurrection. You're undermining the electoral system. You don't have evidence of anything, no proof. Nothing. That's just the way the cookie crumbles, as they used to say, Mr. Producer, isn't it? So they can't even run an election in a city. And remember, New York State had a disastrous time dealing with elections. And so they want to, you know, embrace aspects of this and nationalize it so every part of the country can't run elections. But the Democrats will always win. That's the issue. That's the problem. But I'm not surprised. Remember that congressional race in rural New York? Even with a judge, they were doing everything they could. Everything they could to prevent the Republican from winning. And then finally the judge had to say, boy, I'm looking like a schmuck here. Maybe I should stop. Maybe, maybe that's enough. By the way, Mr. Producer, who is Roy Wood Jr.? Yeah, yeah. He's one of the Comedy Central people. Does anybody even listen to this guy? Now, I thought Comedy Central's ratings had taken a dive. I know they've taken a dive. He's a contributor, I guess, to the deal. I don't know who Roy Wood Jr. is, but Mr. Producer found this. And I'm told this segment was actually quite monotonous. Did you watch the whole segment? Five minutes of stupidity. Well, they're very upset if you now raise questions about critical race theory. If you now actually track it down and find out who and what's behind it and where it came from and what's happening to it now. In other words, just take it. Don't challenge it. I told you these times were coming, the attacks and so forth. They're coming and we'll deal with them. One by one. Roy Wood Jr. on The Daily Show last night. Cut nine, go. We're not getting any closer to solving this mystery. Basically, the only thing we know about critical race theory is that it has something to do with race. Or does it? It's not even about race. It's about destroying the existing society. Using race. Using gender. Using the climate. Using immigration. Where did that music come from? I don't even like that music. I don't know where the music came from. Oh, it's spooky music. Produced by The Daily Show. Wow. Go ahead. Theory isn't even about race? Is it a theory? Is it critical? Is it real at all? Is it possible critical race theory... This guy's supposed to be funny? Sounds like a moron. He has no idea what he's talking about. Well, of course it's about race in that sense, but that's not the point of it. It was never the point of it. The point of it is to find fissures or to create fissures in society. This isn't me, this is them. Who wrote it? Who who talked about it? Who promoted it? And race is an important one, but it's just one. And so we never talk about what really is behind all of this. And that's what they want you to do. That's what's expected. Is he done? Yeah, go ahead. 
Mass hallucination we're all having the result of 15 months spent locked in our apartments and spraying Windex on all of our groceries. Nobody knows. I don't... Look, people say I'm not... Is that funny? Doesn't sound funny to me. As a matter of fact, it sounds ignorant to me. Let's go to Kamala Harris at the Generation Equality Forum today. I didn't know there was a Generation Equality Forum today, but apparently there was a Generation Equality Forum today. Cut 11, go. And as we move forward, I believe that if we want to strengthen democracy, we must fight for gender equality. Because here's the truth. And now I'm really puzzled. What does gender mean, Mr. Producer? What does gender mean, America? According to Facebook, there's 48 flavors, if you will. 58, sorry. What does gender equality mean? Is she trying to say equality between birthing people and non-birthing people? as the OMB director would say, what exactly is she saying? Why is it that sometimes words and phrases can be used and other times they're to be banned? What does that mean? We need gender equality. We know that's not binary. We don't know what else it means, but we know that much, right? Go ahead. Democracy is strongest when everyone participates, and it is weaker when people are left out. And we've seen this here in the United States. When women have... You know, this constant row against the United States, endless, this fantastic nation that's been through so much, such a diverse population that really prior to the last several years really was quite united in so many ways after 9-11 and so much more the Democrats have ripped us to shreds here is there nothing good about America can we ever hear a seminar or an event where the president or the vice president of the United States says this is a fantastic country where people have opportunity Where individuals are free to pursue whatever they wish to pursue. To make something of themselves. In a lot of countries, that's not possible. But why don't we ever hear this from a Joe Biden or Kamala Harris? Why the constant attack on America? And when you're attacking America, you're attacking the people of America. You're not attacking an abstraction. Go ahead. Capital. To start a small business, they can participate more fully... And our democracy grows stronger when women have access to reproductive health care, to stay healthy. Do women not have access to reproductive health care? Where is this? Do they not have access to it? We have Medicaid, we have Medicare, we have Obamacare. We have free health institutions, we have free emergency care. I mean, I didn't know this was a problem. Is it a problem still? And if it's a problem still, I don't get it. 
We've had Democrat presidents. We've had Democrat congresses. What's the problem? What does she mean? More access to abortion? Is that what she's trying to say? Is that what they mean by reproductive health? Which isn't reproductive health for the baby, that's for sure. And so you're not supposed to be talking about gender as if there's women and men, and yet she mentions women constantly. So they move in and out of their own perverse ideological world, depending on where they need to stop to make their assertion. And she never presents herself for questions. People have said she hasn't had a press conference God knows how long. Maybe she did, maybe she did. I don't much care. There's a reason why the Democrats rejected her early, very early, as a potential president. She's been a disaster. I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Now, education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale College has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for over 175 years, and it continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide. Through its free online courses, its support of classical K-12 through charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, as described in the Declaration of Independence. It includes America's great heritage and liberty that too often today is falsely derided and denied. Hillsdale's motto is, Pursuing Truth and Defending Liberty Since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Okay, Terry in South Carolina, uh, WTMA, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Mark? All God right. Thank you. you. What you do. Thank you. My question to you is, I'm wondering when Biden finally can articulate himself, which is just about now or last month, um, and Kamala Harris steps up into the place uh, as president. By the way, let me slow you down. I'm not sure the Democrats really want that. Uh, and, and I'll tell you why. They're getting everything they could possibly want out of Biden. And I think they now realize that Kamala Harris is not ready for the major leagues. I really believe that. There's no, yeah, there's no question about it. But, I mean, Biden is sinking fast. And, you know, there's only so Yeah, but much- you can sink as fast as you want. There's only so many ways to remove a president. One is by impeachment and conviction. That won't happen, given the makeup of the Senate. And the other is by the 25th Amendment. That won't happen, given the makeup of the cabinet uh, and Congress. So neither way is he going to be removed. Right, but what happens when God Almighty takes him wherever he needs to go? All right, I, I don't know if God Almighty is going to do that or not, but uh, I'm just saying it's, it, it, it's virtually impossible under our system, given the nature of the Democrat Party and their abandonment of any notion of, uh, of rationality or even constitutionalism, that they would do that. They're power-hungry. Right, but my hope is 
that he is somehow dismissed. And, you know, the clay pot bobblehead that Kamala Harris is will expose the whole nation to this farce. The whole nation has been exposed to this. And no help by the media. The whole nation is well aware, at least much of it, that Joe Biden is... You know, we have to make a decision. Is he so incompetent that he's a buffoon? Or is he mastermind behind the most radical agenda in American history? And uh, I hear people say both at the same time. Well, both at the same time is not possible unless he's not in charge and there's people behind him working. And I think there's both. And that is, in this sense, he wants to be the most radical president in history because he met with historians who said, go big, Joe, and, and you know, told him how he could be a, uh, a legend among presidents. And then I think he leaves it pretty much to the staff to figure out everything because he's incapable of it. And I think that's exactly what's going on. And if anybody thinks that would change under Kamala Harris, it won't. Or suddenly the American people will say, wait, Joe Biden was okay, but Kamala Harris is a disaster. I, don't, I just don't buy that. I think Kamala Harris is devoid of any sort of knowledge. And I do think that Obama and Susan Rice are running the show. And, and I think that if she ever... Now, where did Susan Rice come from? Why do you think she's running the show? Well, I'm involved in state government, and I've heard that from people in Washington. Oh, really? And, yes. And, um, and I think if, she, if, if Kamala Harris steps in the shoes of Biden, if Biden should not... I mean, she's already taken calls. I really don't like doing all this hypothetical stuff. I know other hosts do it, and so I just, I'm just not into it. It doesn't get, really get us anywhere. I just think I just think if Kamala Harris ever. Stepped- All right, thanks for your call. I don't think this gets us anywhere, do you, Mr. Producer? They're not going to replace Biden, not during his first four years. There's no way to do it that they will agree to. Period. He could be walking around the White House, bouncing off of walls, but they're getting what they want. They're getting what they want. I don't think they're salivating for Kamala Harris to replace Joe Biden. I really don't. To what end exactly? To what end? And if she becomes president and somehow he's not, then the nation will really see how vapid they are? I don't think that's true either. If you don't see what a disaster they are already in your own schools, with gasoline prices, with the borders, with inflation kicking in, and they've only just begun then you're never going to see it. Then they're, they're, ide- they're ideologues. So it's not a matter of them having an open mind and saying, wow, look at that, look what's going on. No, they're cheering it on. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number is 877-381-3811, American Marxism, that's the name of the book. And the knives are being sharpened and they're coming out, ladies and gentlemen, and that's okay. That means we're over the target, as they say. It's been sitting up there in the top ten of Amazon for months. 
going between number one, number nine, number ten. It's been sitting at number two for three days in a row behind a Hollywood novel. And I am told, and I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it, but I'll say it anyway. You ready for this, Mr. Producer? It really is mind-boggling. 183,000 pre-orders. That's you, ladies and gentlemen. 183,000 pre-orders. I think I saw over 160,000 of which are hardcover books. And we're now, what is it, 13 days away from its release. And I can already tell the media are getting very upset. What can we do? What can we do to live in? How can we do this? It won't work. I have a bond with my audience, and my audience a bond with me. Nothing you say, nothing you write will matter. The people who listen to this program, the people who watch my TV programs, the people who read my books despise you. At the New York Times and the Washington Post and elsewhere, literally despise you. It won't matter what you try to do. It's of no consequence. Now, I will call you out. I will expose you. But for my audience... They don't understand you, that the more they attack you or me or this one or that one, the more you hate them, the more, the more it plays right into your, your understanding of what we're dealing with here. That's the truth. And so I want to thank those of you who've jumped in, and I know more will over the, the next few days and weeks. And uh, Amazon has the book, it's off, it's uh, uh, price is off almost 40%, the reduction, that is, discount. If you're not comfortable with Amazon, there's Barnes & Noble and Walmart and so forth. But it's fantastic. And I want to thank you. I think we're going to do some great things. Now, I want to also make you aware, as I've talked about before, this isn't a book you can fly through. This isn't a book for... Well... I don't even know what to say. For self-aggrandizement by the author or anything like this is a book that gets into it. Gets into the scholarship, gets into the so-called intellectuals, gets into these various movements. And it also has a ton of endnotes. If you want to go to original sources and check them out. And this book could have been twice the length. It could have easily been six, seven, eight hundred pages. But who's going to read a book that's six, seven, eight hundred pages? Almost nobody. So that's pointless. But there may be a second volume to this. I've been thinking about it. I was thinking about it before I even finished it in the first place. The title is going to infuriate the media. It's going to infuriate all kinds of individuals and organizations that just don't like the way they're being talked about, even though it is what it is. And see, we will be prepared for this. I've thought this through. We know it's coming. And I know how I'm reacting and responding. But the key is not them. They're the problem. The key is you. The key is you. A friend of mine, 
Now, oh, you should also know that hundreds of copies of an advance, embargoed copies, have gone out to many, many friends of ours, friends of ours at Fox, friends of ours in radio, friends of ours who, uh, who write columns, friends of ours who run think tanks and so forth. So I thought you should know that. Hundreds and hundreds of copies. And uh, two weeks in advance of the release, just because I just got them. So we sent them out as fast as we could. That's all. We don't have thousands and thousands and thousands of copies. At least I'm not aware of it. There's a section in there on the press, of course. But I didn't want to regurgitate what I already wrote in Unfreedom of the Press. Which is a full expose of the media in this country and how they conduct themselves. They're, they're not honest people for the most part. And we're going to find that out in the next 24 and 48 hours when I use it as another learning and teaching example. I'm told there's a Washington Post reporter who's getting ready to write something about me. Oh, the coincidence of it is unbelievable. Just stay tuned. I know what I'm doing. Stay tuned. You know, one of the best reporters we have right now is Peter Ducey. He's a young man. He's fantastic. And he's the son of the great Steve Ducey. And he really, he really is a courageous young man. He's sitting there. He knows all these other reporters aren't going to ask the kind of questions he asks. He's really quite a, a, uh, a class act, Peter Ducey. And so he wants to know. You're talking about Republicans defunding the police. Can you name a few? It's really a brilliant line of questioning. Cut 14. This is at the White House briefing today. Go. You mentioned at the last briefing that you think Republicans wanted to defund the police because they did not support the American Rescue Plan. Which Republican ever said that they did not like the American Rescue Plan because they wanted to defund the police? Now that's a perfect question. Perfect question. You have veteran reporters and hosts who've been around for decades, Washington, D.C., not one of them asked that question. And here's Peter Ducey, a fresh face, a fresh mind, a courageous young man, and it's an eminently intelligent and sensible question. Go ahead. Well, first, let me just note that the president ran and won the most votes of any candidate in history on a platform of boosting funding for law enforcement. No, he didn't. He ran on on a platform of boosting funding for law enforcement? I don't remember that. Do you, Mr. Producer? We have the hundred and some page Sanders-Biden manifesto. There's nothing in there about boosting funding for police. Nothing. I went back and I looked. Go ahead. After Republicans spent decades trying to cut the COPS program. There's record of that. That doesn't require... The COPS program? That's federal funding and temporary federal funding of COPS. And when the funding runs out, there's no funding. So that was a a question of not cutting funding for COPS, but whether the federal government should be funding COPS. I want you to remember something, and I talked about this yesterday. The cities never said they don't have enough money to fund the police forces. 
They said they're slashing their budgets. They're defunding them for ideological reasons because they are what? Systemically racist. And they wanted to reimagine law enforcement and policing. It had nothing to do with the lack of resources. So now this becomes a debate over whether the federal government provides resources through trillions and trillions of dollars of spending, which maybe the mayors and the governors would use to to fund their police forces, but why would they when they were cutting the police forces to begin with? So none of this makes any sense. Go ahead. Anyone having new comments, and then also stood in the way of crucial funding needed to prevent the laying off of police officers. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Just because you have these massive slush funds that you're passing and throwing into the states, particularly blue states and blue cities, nobody's cutting resources for cops except for these mayors and these city councils. Like DiCamio in New York. It wasn't a question of, we don't have enough funds for the cops. It was a question of, we're slashing a billion dollars from the cops for political and ideological reasons. That's what they did. That's what they said. They were proud of it, and the consequences are disastrous. It wasn't a matter of some funding bill in Washington, D.C. They lie through their teeth. Go ahead. Increase. That's a simple statement of fact. I understand what you're saying there. However, there are lots of examples of Democrats explicitly saying they want to defund the police. We've got Congresswoman Cory Bush, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar. Are there any examples of Republican members of Congress saying they want to defund the police? That's a simple question. Are there any examples? Of course, the answer is not one. No. So she won't answer it. Go ahead. People would argue that actions are more important than words, wouldn't you say? Uh, well, to that point, uh, to your point there, at the time of the vote on the American Rescue Plan, you had the Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, he said he just didn't like it because he thought it was a classic example of big government democratic overreach in the name of COVID relief. And then Kevin McCarthy said he thought Democrats were using coronavirus as an excuse to justify funding pet projects. Well, where is the, the we're going to vote against he, this because they want to defund the police? Again, I think actions speak louder than words, Peter. Bizarre, isn't it? They actually believe their lies. Is that possible? I don't think that's possible. This is so stupid, it's beyond belief. Really, unless you are a complete partisan hack, like if you're a reporter for the Washington Post or the New York Times, unless you're a complete partisan hack, would you conclude that the Republicans withheld funding for local police because they didn't vote for a massive monstrosity of a bill that funded virtually everything and anything the Democrats wanted? Again, the facts are on the table. These mayors and these city councils, they slashed the budgets. They had budgets. They had funding. They slashed the budgets to reimagine law enforcement. She says action speaks louder than words. That was action with real consequences. And I don't remember once Joe Biden picking up the phone, calling a member of his party, maybe a mayor or a city council member. I don't remember Joe Biden once saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Not once. Do you? And do you know Joe Biden ran on more funding for the police? Really, when was that? 
And so now Pasaki is a liar. And apparently a proud liar. I'll be right back. Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs, with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. It's amazing. We sit here and we watch what the Biden administration and the left, the Democrat Party, the media, we watch what they're doing. And then they tell us, actually, we're not doing that. Other people are doing it. The Republicans are doing it. Trump's doing it. You people are doing it. Wait a minute. We just saw what you did. We just heard what you did. It's like Russia collusion for years and years. goes on and on and on. And then they talk about You're a conspiracy theorist if you raise any questions about an election or anything of the sort. It's really quite, that's really disgusting. And that's why I think you're, you're galvanized, you're rallying, you're, you're chomping at the bit, and so am I. So am I. In the days and weeks and months ahead, the men will be separated from the boys and the girls will be separated from the women. Now, what do I mean by that? People will either stand up, and I mean in an extraordinarily peaceful way, not mostly peaceful, totally peaceful, and take perfectly legitimate and lawful steps in various aspects of our culture to draw attention to certain activities, to challenge certain activities, to participate and certain things that they haven't participated in before. And that's the whole point. It's the whole point. And so for them to talk about how Republicans were defunding the police, I don't believe there's anybody in any serious way who believes in that. Period. And so now Biden today is pushing another part of their agenda. Biden, look, you heard what I said on Hannity last night? Is there anything that Biden is not destroying? Look at his whole agenda. Look at all the policies in place. He's destroyed the border. He's destroying our finances with the spending. He's destroying the federalism system. They want to destroy the court by packing it. They want to destroy the Senate by packing it. They want to destroy the legislative process by packing that, eliminating the filibuster, which they used hundreds of times in the recent past. 
They've undermined law enforcement, so now we're at really a critical stage where people are being slaughtered, particularly in the inner cities. They're destroying our school systems by pushing their radical fringe ideology. We've talked about a long time and a lot of times with Stanley Kurtz and others and the president, that is President Trump brought it up, the war they're about to unleash on the suburbs. They've created ambiguity between what is male genitalia, what is female genitalia, what's genitalia at all. I mean, the most basic things are now up for dispute and debate. And Biden has played into every piece of this. And the Democrat Party has embraced every piece of this. Now they're worried that some aspects of this are going to catch up with them. People don't like crime. People do not like crime. For good reason. And people don't like excuses for politicians whose policies create more dangerous environments. Now, you don't have to be a political strategist to figure this out. This is a fact. And so now they're running from it. But they can't run from it. It's like how they're going to unleash against the private sector and the economy with this climate change stuff. When we come back, I want to get into that a little bit because it's not discussed enough. I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about critical race theory. Hell yes, we should, and a lot. But there's other things going on that are equally threatening to the system that's in place. Capitalism, freedom, constitutionalism, small-r republicanism, private property rights. So Biden now is, not now he's been, but now he's at it again, pushing this hardcore, they call climate change. It's not climate change. They can't do a damn thing about the climate changing. Not a thing. And they're not going to do a thing in their own lives anyway. What are they going to do? And the the idiocy to believe that human beings can control what happens on an entire planet. But whatever you do, don't challenge that. You must be a denier. No, just a rational person who looks at the facts. We'll take a look at this. I'll be right back. Levin, the George S. Patton of Talk Radio. Call him at 877-381-3811. That's 877-381-3811. I've been holding on to this for a little bit. Because it doesn't... Things sometimes, they don't flow where you can pick some article up or some issue. But this one has relevance because we're going to get into Joe Biden and his climate change push. Have you noticed every radical left-wing kook idea he's behind now? Every single one. Every single one. So he's at the White House today, and he's talking about firefighting, of, what, of which he knows nothing about. Nothing. But listen to this. Cut 15, go. Now, traditionally, federal firefighting has been a seasonal job. But because of the climate change, and I know you all know it, I hope your constituents know it, there is climate change. It's no longer... Okay, listen, listen. Why would we expect a man who's been a dunce his entire life, 
who's been at the bottom of every class he's ever sat in. By him repeating something twice and putting his very creepy, bizarre emphasis on it, then all of a sudden, we're persuaded. See, he doesn't have a transparent meeting of scientists, experts, to discuss so-called climate change in the room, including geniuses who are physicists, who are from MIT and so forth, who don't buy this. That's a kind of discussion they'll never have. This is an ideological approach to science. We saw what a disaster that was in part under Fauci and so forth. And the media went right along with it, as the media go along with all these things. Federal firefighting has been a seasonal job. No, it hasn't. Lightning, other things have happened. But it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse because of the crackpots who don't believe in cleaning out these forests. Even California is starting to do it now. So you have these policies that are dreamt up in office buildings with so-called environmental groups, that are dreamt up in, in classrooms with tenured leftist professors. They put them in place. They have no experience. They don't know anything about forestry or logging or anything else. And there's consequences. And so everything can be blamed on climate change. We have a building collapse in Surfside, Florida. And what happens? The Secretary of Energy, I think she is, talks about climate change after being prodded by it was either a CNN or MSNBC host. Now we have Biden with climate change. You see, you got to have a big thing out there that you're legislating about, that you're taxing, that you're denying people their liberty and so forth. And there is climate change. Why? Because Joe Biden says so? The guy that couldn't pass a criminal law examination? When he was in law school or whatever the hell it was? Go ahead. Job. This is a year-round mission. So we made sure seasonal firefighters can stay on the job as long as they're needed this year by allowing them to work beyond their term. And for next year, we're working to make more than of those positions permanent positions. Are you cleaning out the forest? Have you learned any lessons? No, he hasn't. He's a stupid man. Cut 16, go. I, know, I'm, I realize I'm preaching to the choir here. I know you all know this better than But why are you other... preaching to the choir? Why have such a meeting then? Why not have people who really know this stuff discuss it in front of you and have an open mind about it? But no, he's preaching to the choir. Go ahead. People in the country. The fire season traditionally lasts through October. Well, with climate change, climate change is driving a dangerous confluence of extreme heat and prolonged drought. We're seeing wildfires. Uh, yeah, we've never had extreme heat and prolonged drought. Ask the dinosaurs. Oh, well, I guess we can't. Why? Because they died in a ball of fire, I think. Go ahead. Intensity that move with more wildfires speed. of greater intensity, the move with more speed. I wonder why that is. It's climate change. Or is it the failure to properly manage our forests? These people do not learn. And so things get worse. People die, whether it's crime, 
whether it's forest fires, whether it's open borders with MS-13 and others, they do not learn, they don't want to learn. Marxism is wrong in every respect. Oh, excuse me. Democratic socialism is wrong in every respect. Oh, excuse me. Progressivism is wrong in every respect. They've been wrong about so much. And rather than learn lessons from what they've done, they double down, triple down, quadruple down. They're off to the races no matter what. It doesn't matter. Go ahead. All right, that's enough. So I have in front of me from a wonderful site called IHateTheMedia.com, Mr. Producer. This goes back to April 22nd, 2009, and I dug this up. Earth Day predictions of 1970. This may have been on Instapundit, actually. The reason you shouldn't believe Earth Day predictions of 2009, and they point out even back then, 12 years ago, for the next 24 hours, the media will assault us with tales of imminent disaster that always accompany the annual Earth Day doom and gloom extravaganza. Oh, it's only gotten worse. Ignore them. They'll be wrong. We're confident in saying that because they've always been wrong and always will be. Need proof? Here's some of the hilarious, spectacularly wrong predictions made on the occasion of Earth Day 1970. That's when it was founded. We have about five more years at the outside to do something. Kenneth Watt, ecologist. Civilization will end within 15 or 30 years unless immediate action is taken against problems facing mankind. George Wald, Harvard biologist. We're in an environmental crisis which threatens the survival of this nation and of the world as a suitable place of human habitation. Barry Commoner, remember him? Washington University biologist. Man must stop pollution and conserve his resources, not merely to enhance existence, but to save the race from intolerable deterioration and possible extinction. New York Times editorial, the day after the first Earth Day. Population will inevitably and completely outstrip whatever small increases in food supplies we make. The death rate will increase until at least 1 to 200 million people per year will be starving to death during the next 10 years. Paul Ehrlich, Stanford University, biologist. By 1975, some experts feel that food shortages will have escalated the present level of world hunger and starvation into famines of unbelievable proportions. Other experts, more optimistic... The ultimate food population collision will not occur until the decade of the 1980s. Paul Ehrlich, Stanford University, biologist. It's already too late to avoid mass starvation. Dennis Hayes, chief organizer for Earth Day. Demographers agree almost unanimously on the following grim timetable. By 1975, widespread famines will begin in India. These will spread by 1990 to include all of India, Pakistan, China, and the Near East, Africa. By the year 2000, or conceivably sooner, South and Central America will exist under famine conditions. By the year 2000, 30 years from now, the entire world, with the exception of Western Europe, North America, and Australia, will be in a famine. Peter Gunther, professor, North Texas State University. Scientists have solid experimental and theoretical evidence to support the following predictions. In a decade, urban dwellers will have to wear gas masks to survive their pollution. By 1985, air pollution will have reduced the amount of sunlight reaching Earth by one half. Life magazine, January 1970. 
The present rate of nitrogen buildup, it's only a matter of time before light will be filtered out of the atmosphere and none of our land will be usable. Kenneth Watt, ecologist. And it goes on. I've got more. I'm having too much fun. This is from Reason.com way back, by the way. Air pollution is certainly going to take hundreds of thousands of lives in the next few years alone. Paul Ehrlich, Stanford University, biologist. We're prospecting for the very last of our resources and using up the non-renewable things that many times faster than we are finding new ones. Martin Litton, Sierra Club director. Now the year 2000, if present trends continue, we'll be using up crude oil at such a rate, there won't be any more crude oil. You'll drive up to the pump and say, fill her up, buddy, and he'll say, I'm very, very sorry there isn't any. Kenneth Watt, ecologist. Dr. S. Dylan Ripley, secretary of the Smithsonian Institute, believes that in 25 years, somewhere between 75 and 80 percent of all species of living animals, living animals will be extinct. Senator Gaylord Nelson. The world has been chilling sharply for about 20 years. The present trends continue. The world will be about 4 degrees colder for the global mean temperature in 1990, but 11 degrees colder in the year 2000. This is about twice what it would take to put us in an ice age. Kenneth Watt, ecologist. This is just... It's just unbelievable what passes for science and public policy. And it's always at the cost of liberty... It's always at the cost of private property. It's always the cost of, of mobility. It's always the cost of your lifestyle. There are people in this country who want to destroy your lifestyle. They come up with these self-righteous things that they promote. And they're screw-ups. I'll be right back. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Let's go to Jerry Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, on the Mark Levin app. Jerry, how are you, sir? I am doing wonderful, Mark. Uh, Thank you for having me on your show. I just want to say real briefly, and then I'll get to my point. Big fan of yours since 2006. Actually, the first time I ever heard of you was on Rush, when you'd uh, show up for the uh, little legal briefings during the the legal director. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Yes, you were. (laughs) F. Lee uh, Levin. I can't wait for your book to arrive. I got you pre-ordered here. Thank you. Super excited. So thank you. So uh, 
Big, uh, big fan. Learned more about the Constitution in the last 15 years from you than I ever did in school. Wow, Jerry, um, you're very, very kind. And by the way, uh, Larry Kudlow invited me on his show. Um, it's his July 4th Independence Day show. And we had a fantastic time, and I spoke, and he allowed me to speak for about 20 minutes about the Declaration of Independence, some of the history, uh, how it applies to to modern events. And when I was on Hannity last night, again, I'm asked all the time by these wonderful colleagues to go on their programs and so forth. I do the best I can, but I can't get on all of them. And uh, again, we were trying to attach what the Democrats had done somewhat to our history, and I think that's important. Anyway, go right ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, and, and let me just to... add, uh, Jesse Waters has a new book coming out, and he'll be on next Tuesday to talk about his book. It's a very fun book, How, How I Saved the World. Jesse's a good guy. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Jesse is a good guy. Yeah. No, no problem. No problem. Um, so I was listening when you were reviewing uh, Jen Psaki's uh Right. talking points there on defunding the police. And I think there's two things possibly happening here. And, you know, bear with me. So, one, they're running away from the crisis they created, right? right. And then the second piece is I think they're actually positioning the Republicans to have to kind of vote to support them federally funding local police. And I was thinking back... You know, when Ferguson was going on and the mm-hmm. Obama AG was getting involved with these local local police officers. Right. You know, any time federal funding comes along, there are strings attached. Mm-hmm. So I, I would You're right. They own the police departments. They tell them what to do. You're exactly right, Jerry. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. We're going to also have... Let me reveal some of this. We're going to be interviewed by Hannity the Friday before the book's released for an entire hour on his program. The following Sunday, I'm going to turn the hosting of Life, Liberty, and Live In over to my buddy Pete Hegseth, and he will interview me for an hour, as we did with Unfreedom of the Press. And we'll, uh, Steve Ducey, very, very kind, reached out. Other people are reaching out, and um, I want to thank each and every one of them. Just good people. Uh, let's see. And, and, the, and the management of Fox is 100% behind these efforts. Just so you know, the management of Westwood One is 100% behind these efforts. So it's all, it's all quite good, quite frankly. All right. I want to get some of these calls where there's disagreement, like Jesse in Los Angeles when we come back. Laws have slowed climate change. So we want to know what that's all about. And I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin.
Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. It's worth reminding, I think. Plus, people come and go in an audience, you know, about some of the history of the media in this country, some of these, these corporations. And uh, there was a piece recently in the tablet by Laurel Leff, a professor who's written an outstanding book on not just the New York Times, but the Washington Post and how other media basically covered up the Holocaust. Now that's a pretty damnable charge, don't you think? This is one of the reasons, as we go through the history of these various corporations, and that's what they are, why you have no faith, faith in them or the people who work for them. There's a good reason for that. Because they're liars and they're cover-up artists. They have an agenda. There's all kinds of things going on in this world that need coverage. Like what's happening to the Uyghurs in China. What's happening to the people in North Korea. The abject lies that are being told to the American people by the Democrat Party about crime in our streets. The disastrous teachers' unions and what they're doing to our students. Look how the media waited and waited and waited on the issue of the Wuhan lab. Look how the media lied and lied and lied about Russia collusion. The list is so long, I can't even remember everything. But when it comes to massive death and people crying out for life, when you expect the American media to step in, you're expecting the wrong thing. And she wrote this piece a few weeks ago, the New York Times Nazi correspondent. The New York Times is Nazi correspondent. As Adolf Hitler rose to power in Germany and then embarked on his program of world conquest and mass extermination, the New York Times' Berlin bureau chief was busy slanting the news in his favor. You know what I'm going to do? Sometime in the next few months, Mr. Producer in America, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend an hour on the American media. And I'm going to call out names and I'm going to call out newspapers. I'm going to be very specific. Completely fact-oriented. And I'm going to do extensive research on the various reporters and so forth and so on. And I'm going to do an entire hour on it. Don't you think that would be very enlightening to so many millions of people, Mr. Producer? From the Washington Post, the Washington Times, maybe others. But a real serious examination of what they're focused on, what they do, and how they do it. So she writes in part, at the outbreak of the Second World War, the New York Times bureau chief from Berlin, Guido Enderis, was known to sit in the bar of the city's famous Adlon Hotel, spouting a loudmouth defense of Nazism. Eventually provoking another reporter to complain to the Times publisher, isn't it about time the New York Times did something about its Nazi correspondent? Well, it also had its Stalin's correspondent, Walter Durante. But the Times had no intention of doing anything about Enderis. In fact, it valued its close connections to the Nazi government, as it had throughout the 1930s. 
All American newspapers found reporting in Nazi Germany difficult. The government tightly controlled information and harangued and threatened reporters who managed to publish what it didn't like. The Nazi regime also didn't hesitate to use its strongest weapons. Banning a newspaper from distribution in Germany, kicking a reporter out of the country, denying a reporter's re-entry. As a putatively Jewish-owned newspaper, the New York Times considered itself a special target. Bureau Chief Endres, he wasn't just a reporter, he's the Bureau Chief. His job, therefore, was administering reasonably soothing syrup to Nazi officials, as another Times reporter put it. Yet Bureau Chief Enders in Berlin, his actions weren't purely strategic and their consequences were grave. Grave. Throughout the 1930s, Enders helped steer Times coverage to play down Jewish persecution and play up Germany's peaceful intentions. He kowtowed to Nazi officials, wrote stories presenting solely the Nazi point of view, and reigned in Times reporters whose criticism he thought went too far, shaping the news in favor of a genocidal regime bent on establishing a thousand-year Reich. Which brings me to this free beacon piece, Andrew Stiles, NBA, Nike, Apple, Google, silent, on China's crackdown on journalists in Hong Kong. And you've heard precious little from the pages of the New York Post and the New York Times. The Chinese government's recent crackdown on journalists in Hong Kong has been met with silence from major United States corporations with extensive ties to the communist regime. Sound familiar? Apple, Google, Nike, the National Basketball Association did not return requests for comments on the arrest of at least seven Chinese journalists since June 17. The targeted journalists are former employees of Apple Daily, a now defunct pro-democracy newspaper based in Hong Kong. They were detained in accordance with a controversial national security law enacted in 2020 after authorities successfully stamped out pro-democracy protests in the former British territory. That's another thing the commies did. When the virus was spreading, they moved against the, the people of Hong Kong. The law was praised in the pages of the New York Times, a newspaper that until recently made millions publishing Chinese government propaganda. You got that? The national security law enacted in 2020 to stamp out the pro democracy protests, writes Andrew Stiles in the Free Beacon. The law was praised in the pages of the New York Times. A newspaper that until recently made millions publishing Chinese government propaganda. On Sunday, Chinese authorities detained a man identified by Hong Kong media as Feng Kong, a former editor and columnist for the Daily Apple, that is. According to Hong Kong police, the man was arrested at the airport for, quote, Conspiring to collude with foreign countries or foreign forces to endanger national security. Yeah, right. U.S. media could not independently verify the identity of the man arrested. If confirmed as Fung, he would be the seventh former Apple Daily journalist arrested on national security grounds since June 17. Where are the reporters in the New York Times and the Washington Post on this story? When the newspaper was forced... Uh, and froze, and their daily assets were frozen, and their bank accounts, excuse me, were frozen. The arrests of the Apple Daily executives were lauded in an editorial 
from CGTN, a media outlet controlled by the communist Chinese government. Apple, Google, Nike, and the NBA have all come under fire for their deep and exceedingly ties to China, as well as their willingness to overlook human rights abuses and submit to the Chinese government's demands. In the United States, meanwhile, these corporations are among the most outspoken when it comes to so-called social justice issues. 2019, Apple CEO Tim Cook touted his company's commitment to, quote, sustaining a free press and thriving democracy, unquote, but only in Western markets where such rhetoric is welcomed. In China, where supporting democracy and press freedom is a criminal offense, Apple's perfectly willing to disregard its own values. Earlier this year, the New York Times reported that Apple's alleged commitment to civil liberties and privacy did not apply to China. The company gave Chinese government employees control over the data centers housing the personal data of Chinese customers. At the request of the government, Apple scrapped the encryption technology it uses in other countries to protect user privacy and even removed its design by Apple in California slogan from the backs of iPhones sold in China. Google and its subsidiary YouTube are banned in China, but that hasn't prevented the company from blocking content critical of the Chinese government, including videos recently published by a human rights group calling attention to the genocide of Uyghur Muslims in China's Zhejiang region. Nike is a brand of China and for China. That's how CEO John Donahue described the company during a fourth quarter earnings call last week, when Nike reported net income of $1.5 billion to the delight of shareholders. Nike and Apple are among the U.S. corporations that have been lobbying Congress to weaken legislation that would ban the import of goods made with slave labor in Xinjiang. The NBA, like Nike, has struggled to reconcile its outspoken support for social justice causes, in the U.S., of course, with its cozy business ties to China and its reluctance to criticize Beijing for human rights abuses. An ESPN investigation published in 2020 found that NBA training academies in Zhejiang were rife with complaints of physical abuse. And in 2019, when former Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morley tweeted, well, we know this story, about freedom for the people in Hong Kong, he was viciously attacked by LeBron James, who makes a fortune off Nike which makes a fortune off communist China, which makes a fortune on labor camps, slavery for Muslims in China. Where's the Washington Post? Sporadic. Where's the New York Times? Sporadic. Where's the American media? Sporadic in its coverage. Really quite appalling. And so we go back to the piece in the tablet. What crippled the Times' coverage of Hitler and the Nazis was a timidity and deference to authority born of being an institution controlled by Jews who desperately wanted to fit into a WASP society, she writes. I don't buy this, but let's go on. Rather than run the slightest risk of being tossed out of Nazi Germany, causing a ruckus over its Jewish ownership, I believe that, the Times let a figure like Enderis, a pitiful ally of some of history's greatest villains, lead its Berlin bureau during its most consequential decade. So you keep that in mind when you see these reporters for the New York Times and these reporters for the Washington Post and these reporters for major networks and so forth. 
keep in mind that their goal is not to be studious and earnest. Their goal isn't to actually report the news. And it's been that way for a very, very, very long time. They're out to seek and destroy. They're out to cover up and censor. That's what's become of the American news media in this country. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Wow, you should see the the links, the stories, the social media, this guy. Jeremy Barr, the Washington Post reporter, Mr. Producer. People are flooding in giving me stuff. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven so far items. This will be very cool, I think. But I want to circle back. From the beginning, Enderis, this uh, editor for the New York Times in Berlin, his journalistic deficiencies were apparent. He has a ponderous, wordy style that's often so vague that we have to change his dispatches to let the reader know what he means, wrote one editor. Enders, who fought every alteration in his copy, retorted the improvement volunteered at the other end for no impressive evidence of superior literary acumen. In 1932, that was a big year for the New York Times, where they were covering up for Stalin with Walter Durandi. Frederick Birchall, the Times managing editor, who was, had just assumed a new position as chief foreign correspondent, visited Berlin, reported back to the publisher in waiting, Sulzberger, Sulzberger's father-in-law, Adolf Ox, who was ill, held the publisher title until his death in 1935. The Bureau's problems lay with its chief, Birchall concluded. By the way, you notice how this newspaper, the New York Times, passes through blood? It's really quite an incestuous situation over there. But Birchall, who had Sulzberger's ear, didn't recommend replacing Enderis. He is incidentally an excellent office manager, he wrote. So here you have... The, uh, the managing editor in the uh, Berlin office with the rise of the Third Reich, Adolf Hitler, basically promoting Hitler and covering up his atrocities. At around the same time, you have Walter Durante, the so-called iconic 
Moscow reporter, uh, being bribed by Stalin, getting the best foods, getting car service, even women, they believe, and uh, covering up for Stalin, including the slaughter of Ukrainians in 32 and 33. So here we have the New York Times. Just take a picture. In the 1930s, covering up for Hitler and covering up for Stalin. Covering up for Hitler and covering up for Stalin. And the Washington Post wasn't much better. You have a reason, a reason to despise these corporations. You would think that a corporation that has as its business journalism and then uses that under the First Amendment of the Constitution to not only destroy journalism, but to in essence be a propaganda of sorts, propagandist of sorts, For the Hitler regime, by its silence. For the Stalin regime, by its cover-up. Would go out of business. People would say, I can't trust that corporation, being the New York Times. And you can't trust that corporation, being the New York Times. And the Washington Post wasn't much better. So exactly when we need a free press to tell us about these these monsters, these enemies that that are growing throughout the world. And they have their own agendas, and they have their own so-called reporters, and they're feeding us lies. That's worse. Worse. than not having the New York Times or the Washington Post at all. There will be other news outlets, and by the way, there were, particularly British and other European news outlets. who were reporting on the Holocaust, who were reporting on what Stalin was doing to the Ukrainians. It's just that our media decided to cover it up. And we, you and I, we lived through the Russia collusion lie. We lived through the effort to destroy Donald Trump before Donald Trump set foot in the White House. We lived through this. And any lie would fly. Any lie. (coughs) Excuse me. really quite amazing, isn't it? Then these Sunday shows. We listen to Chuck Todd, not me, but I play the clips. George Stefano, these others. It's appalling. I remember the great days of Meet the Press. I really do. With Joel S. Spivak. For decades, I used to watch it as a kid. It was a great show. And these other shows, too. Not anymore. Good job, Chuck. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, radio's principal patriot. Call in now at 877-381-3811. Remember the battle for Donald Trump's tax returns and they got millions of pages of financial information on Trump world and he was going down and his kids were going down and everybody's going down. Well, this is from Fox Business. Charlie Gasparino, who's a real reporter, Eleanor Tariff, don't know who she is. For the past five years, Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance has been investigating the Trump Organization, Donald Trump, his sons Eric and Don Jr. for alleged tax fraud. The inquiry produced three million pages of documents based on 100 subpoenas. As Fox Business first reported, Vance even created a task force of accountants and lawyers to make a possible indictment of the former president and his sons the office's top priority. Now, the result of this effort will be disclosed tomorrow in what appears to be a case that falls significantly short of prosecutors' initial grandiose visions. And by the way, prosecutors are not supposed to have grandiose visions. Fox Business has learned that Vance's office plans to charge the Trump Organization's chief financial officer, Alan Weiselberg, and the organization itself with fraud. For what? Over perks. Weisselberg received that were not counted as income and thus allegedly criminally evaded taxes. Now, this is unbelievable. Usually the IRS will come in, slap your hand, pass for the perks with penalty and interest. Neither the former president nor his two sons, with, with whom he runs his real estate and country club empire, are expected to be charged. People with direct knowledge of the matter tell Fox Business. The expected indictment of Weiselberg, I have no doubt they tried to force Weiselberg to testify, to say anything, like they did with Manafort. But they don't have anything. The expected indictment of Weiselberg will come after months of pressure, there you go, by Vance's sprawling team of lawyers assigned to the case to have him flip on Trump and his family, to become a key witness in a broader tax evasion. These people add, Weiselberg has so far refused leading to the current set of charges. People close to him say he and his lawyers are confident they will prevail in court. Legal experts tell Fox Business tax evasion cases over perks are rarely brought by criminal authorities because of the murky murky tax law when it comes to such fringe benefits. And by the way, how many of these DAs and assistant DAs do you think have all these perks going? A lot of them. The case against Weisselberg stems around private school tuition for his children. His use of a company car and a company apartment. You're going to send a man to prison for that? Just tax him. Just tax him. I mean, we'd have to put crime tape around the entire Capitol building and arrest the vast majority of the members of Congress for this. Or the Washington Post, for that matter. Who knows? But look how they treat another human being. Isn't it disgusting? 
This is an older gentleman. I think he's 75 or 80 years old. He's been with the Trump Organization for decades. They're like family, I believe. And they're trying to pressure him to buckle to go after Trump. And he's got nothing to go after Trump with. Can we just accept the fact that Donald Trump is an honest businessman? Can we just accept the fact that he's an honest man, period? That he's not in collusion with the Russians? He's not trying to rip off Uncle Sam? That he plays by the book? I mean, if you've been investigating him for five years in his taxes, and according to this article, three million pages of documents, and you find nothing, then we ought to at least say Donald Trump is an honest businessman. He's an honest politician. He hasn't done any of the things they keep saying he does. Now, Joe Biden, it's a whole other story. It's a whole other story. All right. I'm sick of the news. Let's go. Let's, let's take some calls, shall we? We have Jesse, Los Angeles, California, 870, the great KRLA, where we are live and national. Yes, Jesse, how may I help you? Yes, hi, Mark. I originally called about the uh, reading. Speak of up the, just uh, a little bit. I'm sorry. I louder. The, the, the reading of the louder. Um, <clears throat> I called about you reading the uh, Earth Day uh, predictions in the 70s. Yes. And uh, I'd like to point out that that was kind of the catalyst for us to have like the EPA and environmental laws. That helped clean up the air, so you changed the... Sir, the predictions were absurd, that we have five years left, that the oceans are going to rise, and they're going to do this and that. And you're saying, we passed laws to deal with air pollution and water pollution that prevented that. Nothing prevented that, because it was never going to happen. And if you're going to tell me we passed laws to improve the environment, why would I disagree with that? We're not even talking about that. We're talking about the apocalyptic predictions from so-called climate change, like man can change. Let me ask you a question. Before there was man, did the climate change? Yes, it did. Oh. Before there were automobiles. They haven't been around that long. Did the climate change? Yes, it did. Why? It's not about why. It's about by how much. I'm asking you why. What have we added? Well, we know it hasn't changed that much in the last hundred years. I've got lots of data and lots of experts who say exactly that. And then there are data and there are experts that say man has no control over this. Over clean air and clean water, yes, they have a, we have a lot of control over that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the planet and the sun and gravity. We have no control over the ocean. Kind of stupid, don't you think? Not at all. No, not at all. No, we do have control over the waves, then, the ocean and the tides. We do? We have the ability to limit the amount of pollution that we put in the air. I didn't say we we don't have the ability to limit the amount of pollution. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about climate change. Climate change is about, according to you folks, carbon dioxide, which isn't even a pollutant, is it? Is carbon dioxide a pollutant? Actually, in, in... The amount that it is going I didn't to ask you the amount. Is, well, I'll ask you the amount. Is carbon... Why is it that when I have a talk with people on the left, they can't say yes or no? The answer is no. Carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. It's never been a pollutant. It cannot be a pollutant, right? Mark, would you ever run your car... Is that a- true or false? 
I didn't say carbon monoxide, genius. I said carbon dioxide. Anything in an abundance amount can be dangerous. But it's not an abundant amount. What's an abundant amount? Pudding. I said, what's an abundant amount? We're putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. You're talking in platitudes. Of course we're putting carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. It's called a greenhouse gas. And without greenhouse gases, we freeze to death. Yes. And if you have too much So how much is too much? You get too hot, you turn into You're not answering my questions. You're talking in platitudes. Hey, if we put too much in the air, I asked you, what's too much? You know, there's an astrophysicist who was also an astronaut, and I cite him in Liberty and Tyranny. He says, all this talk is so absurd. The sun determines what our atmosphere does and doesn't do. There's not a damn thing we can do about it here on Earth. Can we make the air cleaner? Yes, but we're talking about controlling the atmosphere, controlling the ocean, controlling the weather. Whether it gets hotter here or colder here. I would ask you, why is it that just 40, 45 years ago they were talking about an ice age? Now they're talking about the opposite. You have to admit this doesn't make a lot of sense, right? All right, thanks for your call. We pass laws, and that's why the oceans aren't rising as fast as they said they would in the 19th. Oh, really? Which law was that? Well, pollution from cars. So pollution from cars determines whether we have really high, high tides that, that wash over continents or not. Now, how stupid is that? It's very stupid. There was also a, a brilliant geologist, also in Liberty and Tyranny, and I quote him. He says, let's take a look at carbon dioxide. He said, let me put this in language that most people can understand. If you have a stadium of 10,000 people, that is 10,000 particles, but 10,000 people. How many of those seats are filled by carbon dioxide? That is people represented by carbon Four. Four. You know what the greatest contributor to greenhouse gases is? Condensation. But they haven't figured out how to tax it, how to monitor it. But they think they have carbon dioxide. And besides, you don't really do anything with condensation, it just happens. But carbon dioxide, see, it's caused in part by capitalism. Capitalism. Let me talk to Joe by capitalism, capitalism. That is a robust economy. And that's the point. It's an attack again on our economic system. And yet, oddly enough and ironically enough, it's our economic system that creates clean air and clean water. And it's the communist Chinese economic system that creates smog and fog and dirt and all the rest of it. We should be celebrating, celebrating our success here. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong 
and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Don't forget, please pre-order your copies of American Marxism. If you want the first edition, if you want it at almost 40% off over there at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Walmart have online services as well, I hope you'll jump in and uh, and acquire your copies. It's just a little over 17 bucks. It'll show up at your your door or at your steps first thing in the morning on July 13th. And we're only 13 days away now, 13 days away. You and I have been thinking about these issues and talking about these issues, and we're going to talk and think a lot more about them, and we're going to have great discussions on this program about what we can do. In addition to the final chapter in which I lay out, it's 10,000 words, rather uh, numerous, and I think substantive uh, options for us as well. A couple in particular I'm pretty excited about. So I hope you'll uh, join me. And again, this isn't a book that you're going to get through in 24 hours and so forth. I think you'll, you'll be intrigued and excited enough and really want to dig into this stuff where you'll just take your time one page at a time. You don't have to speed read it. And also keep something else in mind. You don't have to memorize what's in it. You have the book. And you'll have the end notes. So it just flows from one chapter to the next. There's a lot of information in here. And that's a good thing. You will be better equipped and uh, more knowledgeable than truly anybody else. Truly anybody else. You will be. You will be an informed citizen. An extremely well-informed citizen. And not because of me, but because of the people who I cite and I bring to your attention. And uh, I've said this before. They've awakened a sleeping giant now. They've awakened a sleeping giant. And who's the sleeping giant? The people who love this country, of all backgrounds and races. Wherever you're from, it doesn't matter. You're here in America. And you love America. It doesn't matter if we have certain little political differences or personal differences or religious differences. No, no, no. We join together to defend our country from those who hate it, those who lie about it, and those who smear the people in it. We are better than the people who claim to represent us. We are better than the tenured professors. We are better than these Marxist groups, Black Lives Matter and Antifa. We are better than the the lying, fraudulent, phony journalists. We're better than all of them. We're the American people. You, we make this country work, not them. So I hope you'll jump in with both feet. 
if you have children or grandchildren going off to college, I believe you're going to want them to be informed in advance because this is ground zero for this stuff. At least that's my attitude. And I want to thank those of you who've jumped in. I'm telling you, it's remarkable that we have over 183,000 pre-orders. And so that means they will try and attack me and destroy me. It won't work. You know, Rush used to say, if you live by the media, you die by the media. I don't live by the media. I detest the media. They can go to hell. They don't matter to me. I have my own platforms. I can talk directly to you and you directly to me. We will overcome, come what may. This will not be an easy trip, but it will be a trip that we must take. In fact, it'll be difficult. It'll be daunting. It'll be complicated at times. And so be it. So be it. We're Americans. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And I salute you, the greatest audience of audiences in the world. Smart. American. Wise. And courageous. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless you.